0: When we look at level design, we look at things like pacing and the variety of elements and what a journey from point A to point B looks like. What's it like to listen for those things instead? Tonight, on the Commune Podcast. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Commune Podcast. This week we are going to be talking about level design in Sound Voyager. I have with me uh, two guests, Adrian and yourself. Adrian, how have you been doing?
1: I've been doing pretty good. I still have to start college tomorrow, so looking forward to that. Pretty exciting.
0: I remember in college I had time for Metroid and that was about it. (laughs) Yourself, how are you doing?
2: Uh, I'm doing alright. I think
0: in college all
2: I did was play video games.
1: (laughs) Uh, So, Adrian, what games have you been playing? Quite a few. Zelda 2nd Quest, Zelda 2, Ninja Gaiden, Yeast, Oath and Falgana and... Okay, actually, that's it. <laughs> oh, Metroid Fusion, I forgot
0: about that one. Ninja Gaiden, you had mentioned some frustrations about enemy spawning and learning how to cope with that. Uh, I was wondering how you've been doing on that front.
1: Oh, you just have to kind of memorize it, really. I mean, there are specific points where the enemies will spawn in such a way that you're not really going to react to it because they'll spawn over a jump, and by the time you're in the middle of a jump and you see it's there, well, you're pretty screwed. So it's more on, like, the blind trial and error side of things, and that, just memorize it. All right. And uh, yourself, what games have you been playing?
2: Uh, I've been experimenting with flight sims a little bit, um, looking for something that I like. So I found a cool game for Xbox 360 called... Birds of Prey, it's actually the sequel to a game. No, sorry, Birds of Steel is the one I'm playing. Birds (laughs) of Prey is the first one. And what I like about it is that there's actually a three settings for the controls. There's arcade mode, then realistic mode, then um, simulator mode. So if you just want to fly around and shoot stuff, you can play in arcade mode, and you get pretty much one-to-one controls but if you actually, like, once you get used to that, that actually gets a little bit boring, so you can step it up to realistic mode, and you have to deal with the actual constraints of flying the plane. Like, you can't pull up too hard or
0: turn too fast or stuff like that. And is the game properly balanced for having three different styles of control?
2: It's more like arcade mode ends up being easy mode. It really isn't particularly difficult to actually shoot stuff down when you can do whatever you want. Okay. Um, the challenge comes in picking turns and stuff uh, that you can actually make. I'm enjoying it. Compared to like Rogue Squadron, which was what started me on this kick, it's almost a totally different experience, where Rogue Squadron is a lot more about different kinds of enemies and making you fly through narrow passages and stuff like that. Whereas... To Steel is really all just set in the same type of level, but a slight change, like a slightly different plane you're flying against, makes a big difference because your controls are so sensitive.
0: So it's just a lot more satisfying to fly the plane, which I guess is the entire point of a flight simulator. Yeah, I was going to say that sounds like, is it fair to characterize that as more simmy?
2: Well, definitely. I mean, as I said, the hardest mode is called Simulation. I actually even, haven't even tried with that, because playing in realistic mode is hard enough in and of itself.
0: Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I went insane and started Darius 2 on Genesis. Uh, it's called Sagaya. For some reason, they renamed half of the Darius <laughs> games when they brought them out over here. And if I crank it down all the way to the easiest mode, and then choose the Chi character that starts with upgrades uh I can make it to the fifth level if I like really bear down and focus. So it's it's weird that like Darius Twin is a joke and then Sagaya is really handing me my a-
2: <laughs> I feel like that's more the standard for Darius
0: games. G Darius is considered real
2: top tier difficulty in terms of Schmaltz.
0: Okay. I remember um also Darius Gaiden was pretty hard too. Yeah.
1: We definitely bet a lot of credits. Oh, yeah. I was wondering if that was the game that you were streaming that one time with the the giant robot.
0: Was it vertical or horizontal that you're talking about? Vertical. Oh no, that was a uh, Superstar Soldier. Okay. Adrian got to see me die in the boss rush to the stupid friggin' stage four boss. Yeah, that guy is a. I can do him when I can sacrifice, like when I can actually take hits, but uh. You don't have that luxury in a boss rush. That's First up, Adrian, yourself, and I review the level design from the right half of Sound Voyager Sound Slalom, Sound Cannon, and Sound Picker. Keep your ears peeled for references to complexity. What kinds of complexity did we appreciate, and which ones frustrated us? This time I wanted to get at level design in Sound Voyager. Adrian, could you pick a level in Sound Voyager and just tell me, is it a good level?
1: Uh, the one uh, I'm going to pick is Sound Picker. And honestly, it's kind of hard to say. I mean, I was able to do them. But uh, the one thing that I'm kind of finding hard to say is that um, for the most part in Sound Picker, I kind of got lucky a lot where I would just hold the acceleration and then move in a straight line and then I would pick up like two or three on one lane or something and I found it that it was much easier to move around and pick things up rather than actually holding still and doing you know what's kind of the point of the challenge is that is distinguishing which sound it is that is near you but because there are sounds all around you it might actually be just a limitation of what this game can do with audio to make it sound like there are things around you. I can only distinguish between left, right, and when they're in both ears. I can't really tell if something's behind me. I don't have a surround system, and this game doesn't either. It's only for headphones. And it could also just be that I have crappy headphones. I mean, I'm using friggin' iPhone headphones, and, I don't, and I'm not sure if those are exactly no quality, but, yeah.
2: Actually, this is a tangent, but I switched to using, like, iPod headphones halfway through playing the game, and they were so much better than the ones I was using before. Like, Soundcatcher became a thousand times easier.
1: Oh, okay. I guess I have good enough headphones, because I find Soundcatcher probably the more easier ones, but definitely some of my favorite.
2: I don't know. I feel like the sound channels may have been cleaner. Like, it just was more obvious when something was slightly left and more greater right
0: I, it's not really quantifiable so which sound picker level was uh, was your favorite
1: <laughs> probably the second one because the third one is when you have to collect like eight sounds in uh in like three minutes or something like that the first one is pretty much a uh, give a, a freebie, because you can see all the four sounds, and you just ride right into them. You don't even really need to use your ears. But the second one, I feel, is where I got plenty of time, and yeah, I was actually able to, you know, hear and make out the sounds. I didn't have to rely on blindly accelerating all over the place. At least I think I did. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> you only have to collect, like, six sounds, I think. Yeah.
0: I'm not, I don't recall either way. So in Sound Picker 2... Were the sounds generally far apart from each other, or were there like clumps of sounds?
1: They were generally far apart from each other. They're kind of, I think they're arranged in a unequal hexagon. I'm I'm thinking, but um, the other thing that made the last sound picker stage so difficult was um, the sounds they kind of go to a beat, and each individual object that you have to pick up goes off with that beat which and but the thing is these are like quick these are really really quick beats these aren't whole notes or half notes they're like quarter notes or something i'm not good with music so i can't even tell what notes they are but but the point is their duration was not that long and when you had to wait out the specific sound that you were looking for which you kind of need time to get i would find myself timing out a lot on the third level and that's why it was almost it was actually just easier to just speed through the level and then hear which one sounds like, oh, that one sounds really close, I better like keep rotating around until, and then listen to the music enough until I can run right into it, or just drive around in a circle enough until I get it.
0: So when there were a lot of sounds in Sound Picker 3, it was hard to maintain that level of concentration where you could pick out a single sound and just sit on it.
1: Yeah, and it's not like each of the eight pickers had their own distinct sound. In other words, yeah, it was like playing notes to music, but it's like, imagine having four people playing one instrument and four people playing the other instrument, but the thing is, their beats, the only difference between the beats is where they are on the note sheet, but not necessarily the sound or the volume, not necessarily what sound they make or what uh, pitch they have. They sound exactly the same, and that was another reason why being able to pick out the sounds. Yeah, that's, hey, that's why it's called Picker, huh? Being able to pick out the sounds. Was a lot more difficult.
0: I thought of it as like uh, you're in a field and you're picking up <laughs> like a fruit growing out or something.
2: I think the game uh, conveyed an overall strong farm image, which wasn't really what you would expect. <laughs> sound cock. Uh, oh yeah. And then there's a the farm sound
0: uh, catcher stage. I think that was like rain race stub No, that's the storm one. <laughs> That has not count it, though, doesn't it? It
2: might, but there's one that is all farm sounds. I don't, it's the one after Rain
0: Race Dub. I don't remember what it's called. Okay. So, Adrian, do you think the level would have been better if sounds had been different instruments?
1: It definitely would have been more manageable. Would it have been better? You know, I'm not sure, because I am I don't know if it would still be susceptible to that same strategy of, you know, me just... Roaming all over the place until I found until I stumble a few by accident, okay. or get one that's close to my ears. But it would definitely be more manageable to where I don't have to do that. So you're saying
2: that an easier version of a level you don't like isn't really any better than a hard version of a level you don't
1: like? Uh, not quite. I'm, the easier version of a level I don't, I actually do like Sound Picker, like Sound Picker 2 is the one I do, like Sound Picker 3 is where I think it might go a bit on the side of too hard. Right. Like the durations of the notes and the distinctness of the notes I think are two factors at play in the challenge that, if changed a bit, might actually be more fun, but that doesn't exist so I can't actually (laughs) play it. I can only play it in my mind.
0: It also sounded like you were talking about proximity of sound, where in Sound Picker 3 sounds are kind of clumped together to the point where uh, if there was more distance, you could ignore the quiet ones more easily.
1: Yeah, the amplitude's the only thing you really have going for distance. Like, if it sounds quiet, it's far away, even if it is, if you you can't hear it on both left and right headphones equally, whereas when it's close, it sounds loud in both headphones. But, um, proximity, actually, can you ask the question again? Uh,
0: it sounded like proximity, like you listed uh, the similarity of sound, yeah. and also the l- like length of note as two things that added to the di- the difficulty. And um, mm-hmm. I think implicit in what you were talking about before was also the proximity between sounds.
1: Yeah, yeah, and also it, it also plays a part to why the challenge uh, could have been cheesed out because you could accelerate through and accidentally pick up two or three without necessarily meaning to
0: yeah i I had the opposite experience where i still can't beat sound picker three and like sometimes i'll just get frustrated and run wherever and at that point i just don't get anything (laughs) so yourself can you pick a level from sound voyager and tell me if you liked it or not
2: uh, so, Sound Cannon 3 was the level I had in mind. Sound Cannon is the one where you have to rotate to face uh, something that's coming towards you, a sound that's coming towards you, and then shoot it. So, uh, I was not a big fan of Sound Cannon 3. It took me about an hour and a half to beat. Oh my god. And it also had that really annoying, like, tiger or lion growl or something like that, that... It's the worst sound ever. So I was trying to play the stage pretty legitimately at first, like I would only shoot when I thought I had the shot, and
0: that did not work for me. No, I pretty quickly devolved to mashing the A button.
1: Yeah, blind fire, spray and pray. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so in Sound Cannon Three, sounds were far apart, right?
2: There's only one sound at a time in sound in all of the Sound Cannon levels. So you only have to pick out the location of one at a time, and their um, distance varies. They move towards you, so they gradually get louder the same way as sounds in the entire game do. but they may start at different distances from you. like some of them, like the first sound in the level, for instance starts really close to you, so you have to find it right away. But then I think it's the third one is really far away, and it means you have a lot of time to shoot it, but it also is just way harder
0: to shoot it when it's far away. Yeah, that is a little frustrating. If I recall correctly, also, in Sound Cannon 3, the growling is not consistent. Well, I mean, it's not a uh, always present, right?
2: Right. So, that's something that the game uses a lot to make stages more difficult. So... The growl is its actually a two-part sound. There's, like, a growl and then a roar, you might say. And then there'll be, like, a pause, and then another growl and then a roar. And the growl actually gets louder in the window of the sound. And that's one of those things that is, like, I think that's the hardest thing to deal with in this entire game is sounds that, regardless of position, like, even if they're in a constant spot, Ascend in volume or descend in volume. Because naturally that plays against the volume control that you exert by moving.
0: Oh, that's... yeah, you have... Generally volume is an indicator of proximity. But, you know, if I start yelling louder, that doesn't mean I'm actually closer.
2: Right. So, say that you're moving left a bit and the tiger is moving right but the tiger's noise is getting louder. So it can sound like it's at a consistent volume because your movement is offsetting the increase in the uh, tiger's volume. Wow. I don't know what to do with that. It's like just makes the game really hard. I mean, it's legitimate, I guess. It, it's an extra concern that you have to take into account when locating a sound or figuring out what a sound is. Uh, you have to be able to offset your movement against what you your perception of the sound.
0: Do you think Sound Voyager is generally careful about how it plays with that source of challenge?
2: Yeah, as I said, I think that that's something they only really introduce in later levels. So I think they know that that's more difficult. You don't see that in, for instance, the first couple of sound catchers. But the uh, storm one, for instance, uh, Rain Ray Stub that has a thunder sound that starts really quiet and then slowly builds up to a peak. And that was the first time I really noticed
0: that and the effect that that could have. Yeah, that got me a few times. I I did struggle a little trying to catch that one. I
1: think I did too.
0: Okay. Personally, I enjoyed Sound Slalom 3. The Sound Slalom levels in general just had a neat juxtaposition where... uh it's It worked a little like Soundcatcher in that sounds would be far apart and you would have to scroll left and right to catch them. But catching them was a matter of catching the relation between two sounds and, like, planting yourself to the left of one sound and to the right of another so that you pass between them. So I thought that was neat that they had a collection, like, some of the sounds were close and some of the sounds were far apart. Uh, and I think that would have been more difficult if the sounds were different.
2: Yeah. That would have been pretty absurd. I mean, I think the trick the Sound Slalom, or at least for me, the strategy, was that you try to get the sounds in parallel. Make sure you're hearing in the right ear the same thing
0: you're hearing in the left ear. Yeah, just like with a time offset. And what I liked about Sound Slalom 3 was that it bought into how I played, I guess, in that in Sound Slalom... I just sort of scrolled around, looking for wherever the next sound was, and it gave me trouble when often in Sound Slalom 1 or 2, sounds would be so far away that I wouldn't be able to pick up on them intelligently. But uh the spacing was really tight in Sound Slalom 3, so that as soon as I would get out of the gate of one pair of sounds, there would instantly be another recognizable. I would scroll in and then pass through pretty immediately. Whereas uh, in 1 and 2, you needed to make pretty smart use of the gas pedal, and that was something I struggled with.
1: Yeah, Slalom Slalom, slalom 2 was kind of a pain in the ass, I found, because it kind of just gave you, like, barely enough time to do that without... Actually, no, even with speeding, they gave you barely enough time, and uh you almost can't make any mistakes because you have a, I believe, a 15-second uh, time reduction on the timer.
0: Oh, man. Didn't even notice.
1: Yeah, there's definitely
2: some reduction. I don't remember exactly what it was for you. Okay. I feel like the accelerator gives them an extra thing to play with and sound Solemn though. Whereas some of the minigames only have one method of control, like Soundcatcher. So just having those two different input mechanics, the uh, left-right control and the speed control... It allows more variation in the three levels that you get.
0: There's a wider gap between just getting by and someone who's truly skilled. Right. Yeah, I definitely agree. For what now? In Sound Slalom when you have the accelerator.
1: Okay, yeah.
0: There was also, I guess it was tricky, like, learning to accelerate just to get close enough, or high enough up to hear a sound instead of, like, just trying to hear it right off the bat. Right.
2: That's kind of like in sound canon, where it's, you know, easier to aim when something's closer. The difference being that sound solemn allows you to control that, whereas
0: in sound Cannon you just have to wait it out. Yeah. So, Adrian, in SoundPicker 2, how does (laughs) the structure of sounds change as you progress?
1: Well, it becomes much easier to distinguish the sounds. That is... That is definitely one, because with less sounds occupying the same sound space, it's easier to make out which one belongs to which point in the music and then where it is. So you can listen to that one sound, ignore the rest, you're going off right after it, and then just go right for that one. I think that makes sense.
0: If the you start out with, like, you get the whole network of sounds to begin with, and the fact that you're faced with a network is the source of challenge, so as you untie that network... Naturally, Mm -hmm. it gets easier.
1: Yeah, there become fewer distractor stimuli, so it's easier to recognize it.
2: That's kind of interesting in that I guess it gives the game more of a puzzle structure than, or a traditional puzzle structure than a traditional action game structure where levels typically get harder as you go on. It's more the effect where as you put more pieces into place, you have less pieces to deal with for each new uh, opening.
1: Yeah. I'd say the only thing that probably balances that out would be time, and that now that you have fewer pieces, it's easier to distinguish them. By the time you reach that point, you probably have less time to, you know, play the normal way, which is centering the sound in your ears and then going for it.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Huh.
1: I like that. (laughs) Um. Yeah.
0: And across the three levels of Sound Picker, how are the level structures different?
1: Uh, oh my god, I think I might have accidentally said this earlier, but in the first level, you can see them all, and you can pretty much get them all without ever having to actually listen for them. You just use the visuals on the screen. Oh yeah, and you have to collect four for the first stage. By Soundpicker 2, you know, you can't see them anymore, and there are about six of them. And as I said before, they all play notes to a rhythm or to music. And by sound picker three, you have eight sounds scattered about the field, and they're much faster, and their duration is obviously shorter, and that makes it definitely a lot harder. At least if you try to play normally, where you sort of hold and play, move around, hold in place, and listen for the sound you're trying to go for.
0: Yeah, when you put it like that, I kind of want Oculus Rift Sound Voyager. <laughs> If they could put surround sound in your headphones, that'd be great. So yourself in Sound Canon 3, how does the structure change over the course of the level?
2: Uh, I'm not sure the structure actually does change. I think that because of the way that you're given one sound to shoot at at a time, the only difference is in the spawning point of the sound and its
0: actual approach pattern. The variation is more about the behavior of the individual sound rather than how it relates to other sounds. Right. So did the uh, cat growling move more quickly over the course of the level?
2: I don't think so. I don't think that there was any difference in the ways that the sounds behave or the rules applied to them. I just think that they went on different
0: routes. So, yeah, that's what I'm having trouble understanding. When you say route...
2: Right. You have a movement range of 180 degrees. So, say from your point of origin, one enemy starts at 60 degrees and moves straight toward you from 5 meters away, while the next enemy might start at 80 degrees and move at you from 10 meters away and do a zigzag
0: pattern. So, yeah, growling would spiral around you or something like that? Is that right? I think they may have
2: zigzagged. It, it's honestly very difficult to pinpoint what it's doing.
0: Is that to say they all zigzagged? Again, I just don't <laughs> really
2: know. Okay. I think that they all had the capability to move back and forth and did. But what I was saying before is I don't know if they moved in the exact same type of zigzag or one may have zigged longer
0: and uh, zagged shorter. You can't really pick up on that level of precision without your eyes.
2: At least not in this setting, you can't. I think that the best thing you could do to try and figure them out is to sit still and listen to the sound, but with that particular ascending volume sound and the fact that they seem to move back and forth quite a bit, I just had no success in mapping out what they were doing.
0: So... It sounds like Sound Cannon 3 just has ambiguity piled on top of ambiguity.
2: Yeah, that's where it derives its difficulty from.
0: Yeah. Mm. Okay. But for the entire course of Sound Cannon, what changed from Sound Cannon 1 to 2 to 3?
2: So in Sound Cannon 1, I think that all the sounds just came straight towards you. There may have been a couple that had some sort of spiral pattern, but for the most part, they... uh just were moving in a straight line, which is a lot easier to shoot, because once you line up with it, the same way as when you line up with something in Soundcatcher or any of the other minigames, it's a constant sound. Sound, Canon 2, they all had different patterns from the start, but I don't think the patterns were as hard for whatever reason. I think maybe they would stay in a straight line for a longer amount of time, it seemed like or stay on, you know, one axis for longer, so that you could line up with them. And Sound Cannon 2 also had different types of sounds. I think 1 may have as well, but 2 had, like, a bicycle sound, which was pretty funny, and
3: because
2: <laughs> well, it was funny because it was a bicycle and a robot sound. So, like, you had the angry robot stomping towards you, and then, like,
0: Ring 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 ring. It's <laughs> a little weird. Like I'm used to shooting robots, not so much bikes.
2: <laughs> yeah, you're one of the bad guys in Paperboy in that stage. <laughs> so oddly enough, Sound Cannon Three got rid of that and just went down to having one enemy, and uh, then it had those you know harder patterns, or it seemed like the enemies moved a lot more constantly.
0: I thought that was weird that uh I think there was more variety in Sound Cannon 2, both in movement pattern and in sound. But uh I guess when you get as difficult as Sound Cannon 3 does, you don't need more confusion. So uh, they just really honed that one growling.
2: I guess, but when you're doing the same thing ten times for ten enemies, I feel like in some sense it makes it harder that if you're struggling with one enemy... That's all you have to grasp onto. Well, yeah, I guess it works two ways. Whereas, or where, if you're having difficulty with it, that's the only thing that you have to learn, so you can just stay focused. But on the flip side, there are no like easy shots in between to let you just relax for a second.
0: It pacing is a flat line, right? For Sound Slalom, or for Sound Slalom Three. Sounds would be pretty far left or right, but I didn't get a great sense of, like, when sounds would be farther away or closer. It seemed like, in general, they stretched as far away as possible. And uh, I think I already discussed over the course from Sound Slalom 1 to 2 to 3 that the distance between sets of sounds got farther, but the s- two sounds that represented the poles themselves stayed just as close. I guess
1: I'm pretty the- sure they got closer in Sound Slalom 3. Oh, they did? Yeah. Like, I actually looked at the screen, and they would show you the blue dots whenever you pass them, and they were getting closer.
0: Oh, whoa.
2: Yeah, huh, I didn't know it did that.
0: (sighs) That's pretty cool. Yeah. Next, developer C.A.E. Jones details his experiences in developing audio games. He lends insights on design along with plenty of other aspects of audio game development. You can find his games at planetseva.com audiogames.htm. That's planetseva.com slash audiogames.htm. Hello, I am here with an audio game developer. C-A-E-Jones. On his website, he has a boatload of audio games available. In particular, uh, I've been interested in the action ones, like the sword game. Uh, He has a game based on Justice League and Mario. But he's also got interesting stuff, like a swamp map editor. Anyway, so I was wondering, most of the people listening to this won't be familiar with audio games. Personally, uh, I've just gotten into the genre myself. So I was wondering if you had any advice for... uh, General strategies when playing audio games
4: well it's um it's kind of difficult to generalize just because just because I'm coming at it from a completely different angle from what most people would be so I would say just uh well'll start with the basics pretty much all of them are going to be best played with headphones rather than uh through the speakers or anything directly like that, yeah when- i. I I guess a good way to uh, get started if you're completely unfamiliar is to uh, try to find something small and simple and see if you can make sense of it. The trouble is, what counts as small and simple for one person might not be quite the same for another. Actually,
0: on that matter, do you have any recommendations for audio games that might make good starting points, something small and simple?
4: I would be tempted to suggest... Apron's games. Those were, those are from com. They're not exactly, uh, simple, most of them, but they're pretty straightforward and easy to get into, and a lot of them have some sort of graphics to go with them.
0: Ah, that's interesting, cause um, I was reading about Swamp, and uh, it was one of the first audio games I had read about having, like, graphics to accompany it.
4: Yeah, I, I think... He added graphics to his earlier games. Kind of, um, I don't if I remember correctly. He did this sort of independently. And then when Swamp came along, he actually didn't add the graphics until some uh, players with some residual vision actually asked for it. Oh, nice. Uh, Yeah, I think I don't actually know for sure, but I think the graphics in his uh, other games, like Lunables and Castaways, are a little a little less simple, but at the same time, you know, they're still going to be pretty simple because of the, just the nature of the beast.
0: Yeah, I think that's only fair. As regards your own audio games, how do you choose the sounds that you use?
4: It has a lot to do with whatever I just have lying around, but, um, it also kind of depends, like, if it's something particularly specific, say, like, a, a fan game of a specific franchise, then I'll try to seek out sounds that match that, like, uh, like Mario. I, at some point, I went and found a lot of Mario sounds. I think, I think I got all those from the Mushroom Kingdom. I don't know, this was many years ago, actually. But, uh, usually, I kind of prefer to make my own sounds, but not. the problem is the uh, sounds I can make on my own are not anywhere near as good as people want them to be, so... Um, pretty much as of roughly the time of the Justice League game, I started trying to toward more professional quality stuff, which means, you know, downloading what free things I can and trying to come up with whatever commercial sounds I can get my hands on, but that's actually pretty cumbersome just price-wise. So those I basically wind up choosing based on a combination of how, whether or not I can afford them at the time, and if they're you know good enough to be worth the price.
0: Okay, I actually do think I recognize some Batman-esque grunts in uh, Justice League.
4: Yeah, the voices in there are actually from Mortal Kombat versus DC Universe.
0: Oh, okay. That game was uh interesting. Mm <laughs> so there are some troubles regarding like uh, professional audio equipment, etc. But are there any like aesthetic considerations?
4: Yeah, to some extent. I mean, I know when I first when I first got my hands on uh, tone generators, like uh, when I first got started with all this, I was using the NCH tone generator, which at the time it had an interface that it was really nice, but it's ridiculously expensive, so I've since moved away from it. But with when I did that, and you know, I just you would generate a variety of sounds based on what sounded nice, and then would just play with it a bit. So a great many sounds that I was using kind of came out of that. They didn't really necessarily make any sense at the time, but I thought sounds cool. I'm going to find something to do with it. And for quite a few of them, I somehow managed, and for several others, I didn't.
0: Uh, so uh, a lot of experimentation went into this. Yeah. Okay. Uh, have you ever had trouble finding
4: a good sound for something? Usually. But uh, at the same time, that's usually for, um, you know, bigger original projects that have really hard time getting off the ground for a variety of other reasons.
0: Ah. Uh, there is a... Actually, I did notice on your site one page dedicated to uh, auditions for a fighting game that you wanted to do.
4: Yeah. Actually, that I... That one's um, kind of different in the fact that I actually have the game far enough along. I felt like I could post those because I actually had most of it playable. The deal with that is I actually had a, a larger cast of characters than I had voices available for, so I was trying to uh, see if I could get people to um, do recordings for those, but no one ever really did. I'm just going to assume that's because the gameplay's kind of screwy.
0: uh uh-huh. I uh I've not sat down and played it myself because I'm not any good at fighting games.
4: Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I assume under those conditions that I'm um, with uh, this one that would be even more insane just because of this was actually the first the system used in that anyway is based on the probably I would call it the first real audio game that I made. I mean, I'd been trying to make games before that, but there had always been something of a graphical component. Just, I'd been working primarily in JavaScript, so I was easy to, even just using forms or text output, and I would have something like that. Like Mario, I've basically been trying to do Mario pretty much within, ever since the second year that I had any programming skill. The fighting game engine is something I made when I finally decided, you know what, I'm I I just want to make something that I can play first and foremost, and then I will set it up for everyone else afterward. And in this case, that uh, didn't wind up quite so easy as I thought, so most people have a very hard time with that specific engine.
0: Uh, Ah. It takes a lot of experimentation to find that sweet spot.
4: Oh, yeah. For me, anyway.
0: (laughs) When you design levels in your games... Do you have a goal, like a theme in mind, or some principle of design?
4: Usually. Sometimes it can kind of evolve as the project develops. But um, usually I'll come up with something for the game in particular, but sort of like with the fighting game engine there, I'll usually come up with something not intended for a specific game necessarily so much as just coming up with some sort of programming idea. Like, if you were to look at the source code for my games, there would be a, pretty consistently, it's just, um, there's always going to be some unnecessary bit manipulation going on in the background. If you were to ask someone to look at it, they would say it looked ridiculously convoluted and unnecessary. Usually try to obfuscate this if it's not, you know, too important that I manipulate them directly. But, for example, in Mario, the the way the map system is designed is well, it would take a while to explain, but it's kind of counterintuitive. So um, what I usually wind up doing is I kind of something like that and I'll build on top of it. That isn't necessarily how I plan to start out. That's just usually the way things kind of get done. Okay,
0: so a lot of it is uh, just finding the best way forward as you go along?
4: Yeah, more or less. I guess what it really comes down to is what's the most fun to work with on a programming level. Which isn't necessarily going to be the most efficient in terms of what I wanted the end result to look like. For example, in Mario, the way the jumping works is very different than it would be in the uh in the original NES game.
0: Okay. When you say that, do you mean like uh the physics of it or uh, some like a more base level programming how it works?
4: Uh in uh in the Mario audio game that you were kind of, the whole variation on how you get your arcs is completely different from the way it was, like in the NES version. Like in the NES version, you have, you know, your running jumps and uh, things like that. You have like, uh, was it like three or four different uh, arcs you can do? With uh, this one, it's more like um, the way it works is kind of hard to to get a specific. I, I think I probably could have made it work more similarly if I had uh, uh, if I had tried harder to do so. But uh, the way it works now, you pretty much have to um, you get extra jump height at the uh, cost of not really being able to move very far vertically and horizontally simultaneously. So you kind of have to uh, yeah, you kind of have to move up and then move right or left or whatever direction.
0: Okay. You have to find a balance between uh, how far forward and how far up you want to move. Yeah. Okay. Those are some of the subtleties that I have trouble picking up on while playing, and uh, I'm still replaying and trying to get into the groove there. So, in particular, uh, two of your games, well, at least two, uh, were inspired by in- existing games. There's Mario and then there's Sonic. And uh, I was wondering what in particular inspired you to make audio game versions of those?
4: Well, I um, I used to be able to see a lot better. I, I was always uh, legally blind, but I could see well enough to play Mario. That was pretty much the extent of the quality of my vision. And uh, when things got worse, Mario was actually the first one to go, just because he's so dang small. And then, actually, uh, the first time I really noticed it was uh, I was playing Super Mario 3, On the Super Nintendo, where they uh, do, where everything's, you know, vaguely desert-themed, the the background, they actually changed it in the Super Nintendo version so that it was more orangish, and the contrast was just horrible, and I couldn't see anything anymore, and it was just frustrating as all heck. So I went to, um, I basically got good enough at programming. Trying something Mario-esque was pretty much one of the first things I was doing. It's just like, I just wanted to play it again.
0: That's pretty cool that uh it was a way of relieving that nostalgia and getting back to that game that you enjoyed. Yeah. What was the hardest part uh making an audio game out of Mario?
4: Really, the hardest part was just figuring out how to make it accessible in the first place. It's, uh, I mean, in hindsight, it looks like it should have been pretty simple to do the, the way I did, but... When I first started on it, I actually had no idea what to do. Like my first few tries, like I said, were in JavaScript, so I was using uh, I was using actually buttons for the outputs. I had just like a huge stack of buttons that ran all the way across the screen, and so everything was all text based, and I could get a screen reader to read that. It was a lot more cumbersome than um, than it really should have been, just because of the way screen reader navigation works and you had to know what all the symbols meant etc. But uh yeah, when I when I wound up trying to do it as a straight up audio game, uh all I could really think of was um, was to do what I call the accessible camera, which I don't really like that name anymore and I'm actually kind of um kind of trying to move away from the concept or at least at least change it a bit because it feels like it's um well you can tell i 'm trying to recreate more of a mainstream type feel, and uh blatant accessibility features just kind of clash with that it's kind of, i mean there's has to be a balance between what you can do in audio and uh what kind of fits the theme but at the time i I was focused more on getting it playable than on fitting that uh deal so um first thing I could think of was the accessible camera where you kind of, uh, sort of move a cursor around block by block and it makes a sound to indicate what's there. And I actually did this quite a while before I had anything releasable. It was like several months and I couldn't, it was just kind of frustrating trying to just get through the, just using that. It wasn't until, um, several months later after I had played more audio games that I actually got the, uh, the idea for the the cues for the platform, pit, and wall sounds. Actually, what really gave me that idea was, um, the first, uh, I hadn't actually played a whole, a lot of audio games at the time, so the one that gave me the idea was the first book Daibokin game, which itself doesn't have, um, particularly great, um, navigation accessibility compared to the, uh, compared to the rest of that particular series. But um, it gave it gave me the whole um, make a sound within X steps idea. I know there were other games that use that for, like, ledge detection and such, but uh, that was the one that kind of inspired me on that. And basically, once I had that in mind, it was pretty simple just to... The game just sort of grew out exponentially at that point.
0: That was the moment where things really clicked into place? Yeah. Okay. It did throw me off a little at first trying to listen for platforms, but um, after a little practice, it is pretty intuitive.
4: Yeah, the platform part seems to be what gives pe- people the most trouble, and I'm, I'm not really sure if that has something to do with just the way it works in general or if it's just platforming and audio being kind of something that takes getting used to. Or if it's just that a great, a large percentage of my, my audience doesn't have the background to actually know what's going on without a lot more experimentation. Yeah, I think that's
0: what I'm discovering that, uh, as I experiment more and play different kinds of audio games, uh, like Shadows of Doom and stuff like that, or I think it's Shades of Doom, sorry. Yeah. That the more experience I get with different games, it sort of feeds back into itself in and, uh, I get more accustomed to listening for things.
4: I think that actually kind of um, sums up quite a lot, really, because it's like when you're used to doing things by ear, it's you know it's kind of easy to get into most things. If it's sort of more new experience you're not used to, it's just going to be kind of unsettling at first. Yeah, exactly. I was also wondering uh,
0: if you had a favorite level in Mario. A favorite what? A favorite level in your version of Mario.
4: You know, um, based on comments I've uh, come across in uh, various places, I have to wonder if I'm going against the norm when I say I was always pretty fond of the water levels. <laughs> but... Um, I don't really know that anything sticks out, particularly in my version. I know in the original, I was pretty fond of 3-1 for some unknown reason. Actually, it might have just been the uh, the color scheme, I'm not sure. <laughs> but uh I know that in my version, I haven't actually managed to beat the whole game. I, I'm actually a little worried it would be possible... <laughs> Is because no one's ever told me that they have or haven't. Eight four is I can get to eight four. That is the last level, and um, I die quite a lot. So uh,
3: <laughs>
4: yeah. Okay. And finally, uh,
0: just one question to wrap stuff up. When it comes to the theory behind games, uh, which is more important to you, the intent of the developer? the experience of the player or the essence of the game itself
4: well i think um, it's well it's it's come across pretty clearly to me ever since i've actually started you know releasing audio games that the experience of the player is extremely important because um, yeah i can have all the intent i want in everything i do and if it still isn't quite the same for everyone else then it doesn't really matter to anyone but me
0: I see. So it's a matter of uh, being able to communicate your ideas through that media. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for joining me in talking about your audio games and audio game experiences. Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah. Finally, take a listen as WarioFan63, Sanrio, and I detail the level design found in the left half of Sound Voyager. Sound Drive, Sound Chase, and Sound Cock. These games give a sense of pacing by varying where sounds are over time. So, Sanrio, I wanted to ask, do you enjoy Sound Chase 1?
3: Not really! Keeping track of two things was just too confusing.
0: Yeah, it's hard to split up your attention like that. I can see how that might get in the way.
3: Yeah. Um,
0: so, those two sounds, actually, are they close together or far apart, would you say?
3: Uh, most of the time, they seem kind of far apart, and the sound I'm trying to catch, sometimes I just lose it.
0: Oh, like you don't go fast enough and it gets away?
3: Yeah, but I can't go too fast, because then I'm just going to... Press
0: into a car. Yeah, it's hard to find that balance. And there yeah, are definitely times uh, where I've spent past what I'm trying to catch and it's annoying having to go backwards for it.
3: Yeah.
0: And you said most of the time, So part of what makes sound chase interesting is that the sound you're chasing can weave all over the place. So sometimes it'll be across the highway from an oncoming car and sometimes it'll be sitting right on top of an oncoming car. Yeah. So the sound you're chasing and the sound you're avoiding, are those similar sounds or different sounds?
3: Different ones, so, again, tell them
0: Yeah, I guess that might actually be an issue of difficulty if, uh, <laughs> you're trying
3: to... <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, if this is this the tone I'm going to avoid, or the one I'm to yeah. catch? <laughs>
0: <laughs> It'd be like in Super Mario Brothers if the mushrooms had Goomba sprites. <laughs>
3: You'd, you'd hit hit the lock and then just goomba popped off, <laughs> and then just held on to a bunch of goombas, and you'd have to try to find a eyes on. Oh
0: god, I think I had a nightmare like that once.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so warrior fan, do you enjoy Sound Drive too?
5: That's a conflict of interest, you know, based on my my actual occupation, which is about following the rules of the road and. And sound drive, too, you are you're on a road with oncoming cows that's you know that's just blatant disregard for the rules there it's uh, but otherwise, you know I actually you know what honestly, I was kind of taken aback that uh, I had to be avoiding cows in the first place though,
0: like the cows should just get out of your way,
5: yeah <laughs> well, <laughs> no, I mean uh, part of it because you know my expectations were that sound drive was gonna be. Pretty similar, but then it you know, it throws this curveball at me like, Hey, this time you're gonna be avoiding cows and, and it's like, Whoa, I'm look, I'm listening for something different this time. People with these super fast cows on the highway.
0: <laughs> 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 so actually that brings me to the second question. In Sound Drive Two, are all the oncoming cows the same sound?
5: Yeah, they're roughly the same sound. I mean, you can you can tell if uh, there's like a cow that's going a little faster than the normal. But <laughs> I mean, implying that the cows are kind of going faster than normal cows to begin with, <laughs> seeing that you're clearly on a highway, <laughs> a fox lane highway. Super
3: <clears throat> cows.
5: <clears throat> <laughs> I mean, I'm not entirely sure how the cows have turn
0: signals, but sure, let's go with it. (laughs) That'd be a new sound to throw in there. uh, (laughs) Yeah, the clicking sound when they switch lanes. (laughs) Oh, boy. And do the cows ever get close to each other, or are they mostly far apart? How how Um, close are they? You mean, like, in relation to
5: each other, or in relation to me? Each other. I think it's a fair balance that they, they split it up between if it's on the left side of the highway or the right side of the highway. You know, but I can usually, I can kind of tell, you know, where they are. Uh I think this is one of the funner games that uses the left and right speakers. So, like, I don't know, you're listening intensely there, and, you know, if you hear something on the right side, I just shift lanes all the way completely to the other end on the left side, and just, you know, I can completely just drive off in silence, avoid any accidents.
0: That is the magic of sound drive, that, It's the only game where you are avoiding things rather than trying to hit things, so there's a much greater margin for success. You can be in four places and still win, as opposed to having to be in just one place. That's right. It's also worth noting that uh, all of these games have different, like, noise background tracks, like subtle little beats, but I didn't see any meaningful difference to them. I think they just sort of make it not sound so empty.
5: I can see that. I mean, I, I can hear that.
0: <laughs> uh, that joke will never get old. Um, <laughs> as for myself, I would like to talk about Soundcock 2. I like Soundcock 2 because it's interesting um, having to chase down a moving target. And I think in Soundcock 2, the space is still small enough where the roosters never get entirely outside of your range to where you can't hear them, whereas in 3, the range is so big that sometimes you just hear silence. So to that end, most of the time, The roosters in Soundcock 2 are not, like, super close to each other, but they're at least close enough that I can hear one from the other's position, which does cause some confusion. But then my best time in Soundcock 2 comes from the time when the two cocks just overlapped each other, and I picked them up at the same instant. So it is kind of random. I don't have their AI fully figured out yet, or if there even is an AI. (laughs) As for how similar the sounds are, they are the exact same sound. And that might be a little confusing if, if they were intermittent sounds, like on Soundpicker, uh, where like the beats are offset from each other. But in Soundcock, all of the sounds are very persistent, just like this constant gobbling. So it's easy to keep keep them consistently separated in my brain.
5: Now is it uh is it stock Ocarina of time cuckoo soundbite?
0: Actually, that I mean it's pretty much the same thing. <laughs> I'd have to listen back, but uh <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, now uh,
5: with with soundcock, I, I'm guessing that the the sound is the same between all the variations of the levels. Yes. So it, you're always chasing roosters. It's not, you know, hey, here's some dogs or something to chase down.
4: No,
0: which is which is weird because most of the mini games find variation in the different sounds you have to interact with. I guess some the other notable game like that is sound slalom, where I'm pretty sure the sounds are always the same that you're interacting with. That's true. It's one hell of a ski slope. (laughs) (laughs) That might be interesting, trying to ski while hearing the uh, slaloms. (laughs) I'm skiing blind.
5: (laughs) I can hear the slaloms. (laughs) They speak to me.
0: So... um, Moving on to trends established by series of sounds. Zanrio, how does the structure change over the course of Sound Chase 1?
3: Well the thing I noticed uh, at first time had to just uh, chase the sound and the sound to try to catch and then I've had to talk more um, avoiding stuff and then suddenly the sound appeared behind me and disappeared somewhere and yeah, it's a confusing game. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that is something, where you can approach the stage at different speeds, and so it's not entirely, like, a, there is some level of variability to where your position will be relative to the oncoming traffic.
3: Yeah. You can't
0: rely on it always being the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess unless you hold down the A button the whole time, because you're really confident. And Wario fan, how does the structure change over the course of Sound Drive 2?
5: I guess there's not a whole lot of... uh change I can really say except maybe the uh I mean the rate at which uh, the cows come at you go faster and faster
0: oh they start out slower and they get faster
5: i I'd say so yeah I, I don't think it's too overwhelming but I think it definitely is a little uh there, there's certainly some some fast ones in there okay That's but otherwise a- I think it generally follows the same pattern of you know it's moving from left to right or middle and they don't they don't try and throw at you hey it's gonna go at the Far right, and the almost right, and then the far right again, and yeah, so I don't know. It's kind of uh, kind of consistent with uh, the placement, I guess,
0: throughout. You mean like consistently varied? Like they would never just lump them all in one place?
5: Yeah, yeah. There, there's not like a, a conga line of cows.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> so how is Sound Drive 2, structured differently than Sound Drive 1 and 3? Well, for one, the cows.
5: <laughs> and, um, I guess, like I said before, it's, it's pretty consistent with the, the way the, the sounds approach you, for the most part. They just generally shake up what kind of sounds are coming at you. So, in, in, like in Sound Drive 1, you're a car driving into oncoming traffic. In Sound Drive 2, you're a car driving into oncoming cows. And in Sound Drive 3, you're a car driving into oncoming pedestrians. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so does that impact the challenge at all? Or uh, is it different listening for cars than pedestrians? The tactics don't really change, but, I mean, it's it certainly
5: uh, keeps things varied, As do, if I could say anything about it. I mean, if there's any difference between, like, the way they, they throw the, the cows and the people at you, I... I haven't really noticed it. It's just sort of the same sort of, you know, I mean, they're going to go all over with sound. You just got to make sure you're not running into them.
0: Yeah, the key difference is adjusting your ears to pick up on whatever new sound. Right, yeah. Okay. As for Soundcock, over the course of one play of Soundcock, uh, the structure changes with each rooster that you pick up because there are going to be fewer sounds, uh, so it's going to be a little cleaner. As for over the course uh, from Soundcock One to Soundcock Three. I think I mentioned earlier that the rooms get bigger, but also you get more roosters, so that it's easier to lose track of one, and then it just sits in a corner uh, without me noticing it. So that introduces a level of challenge. Did anyone have any other thoughts on Sound Voyager level design? I I just really like that level. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm still stuck on the options. <laughs>
5: I don't know. I just think the whole thing is unique, you know. Yeah. But like the way your your progression is, like, you know, it's it's all based on on you know just what you do with with Soundcatcher or Sound Voyager. It's uh, Super Mario World. It, it's literally Super Mario World. I I'd say so. Yeah. I'm 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 waiting for the uh
0: the yellow switch sound. <laughs> Man, this game doesn't even have a yellow switch palette. <laughs>
3: <laughs> what kind of game doesn't have that that's not I a wonder that all the time that's <laughs> a yellow switch palace lacking excuse for a game <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, those are harsh words
5: that means you better make sure you put like two yellow switch palaces in your game Sanrio
3: yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: Thank you, Adrian, and yourself for joining me on a discussion of level design in Sound Voyager.
5: Joining me on a
0: discussion. In a discussion? <laughs> uh, for a discussion of? Before going, though, I wanted to ask, Adrian, how do you like Shovel Knight's art style?
1: I think it's pretty good. Okay. Yeah.
0: Gets a PG from Adrian. Yourself? Uh, I, lo- I do like the art style,
2: but I uh, don't... Think that the game actually comes through and delivers on the humorous potential that it sets up in its art style. Yeah, like you've got a knight with a helicopter for a head, but then like the character is that he's um, a good sword
0: fighter. What? So it's like the the guy writing the script and the guy writing the graphics are sitting in different rooms.
2: I don't know, I mean, you could say it's going for some kind of irony thing where everything looks really silly, but then it's played straight. But it doesn't really work if you don't put any jokes in the
0: script. Okay. Adrian, any final words?
1: Uh, aside from the bit on Amplitude, um pretty short podcast. I mean, I feel like, yeah, because of the way Sound Voyager is, and I think I mentioned this last week too, I feel like there wasn't much... That I can really say outside of you know what we said today, because of you know how it's a uh, pretty raw and skill.
0: Ah, uh, I think we said a lot more this week than last week.
1: Yeah, but I mean, it's only been what like an hour, not even. Well, <laughs> and we've already almost uh, said all we could about this game.
3: I think
2: part of the problem is that we all have struggled with it, and I just mean from a difficulty standpoint in terms of mapping out the levels. I, I think that part of that is that we're used to using our eyes, and part of that is we're just not good, like, human-speaking, at using our ears to map out spaces. But uh, I, I think it makes it more difficult to talk about when we're just
0: guessing at what the patterns of the enemies are. Well, you can at least identify what features of the enemies are ambiguous to you, and that obtains one sense of uh, certainty.
2: Yeah, I think that realistically that's what the player experience would be, so what point is there if we know exactly what the enemy is doing, because no player is going to be able to map that out, but that sort of changes the level that you have the discussion at.
0: Yeah, the level design of the discussion. Yeah. Yourself, any other final words?
2: Uh, I had something, then I lost it when we had that, when I just said something
3: else. Mm.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It was like, um... Was it on Soundcatcher?
2: Uh, 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 no, I got nothing.
0: Mm Alright. Well, thank both of you.
2: Oh, wait, I had an idea. ah. I remember what it was. They still are recording. Yes, it was that uh, maybe for this podcast, since we had many absentees, instead of trying to edit in a different segment with them, you should have them do a commentary track for the podcast. You know, they listen to it and then say what like, you know, like how DVDs have, where like the director will have a commentary track on the movie, so they can listen to the podcast and be like. Oh, what is Golem talking about here?
1: And, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Oh god, I'm afraid I'm gonna do that to myself. <laughs> what was I smoking back then? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and be like, as I recall.
0: <laughs> it'll be an extra feature. Well that's a pretty we'll have to send that to R and D. As
2: long as Warrior Fan is R
0: and D, that's
3: fine. <laughs>
2: all right later
0: all music in this podcast is from bit generations sound voyager i'll leave you with this final thought jones mentioned a desire to create accessible games that didn't need awkward help functions like his accessible camera as audio games find their own voice how far will they part from visual games Will new trends appear that highlight the unique advantages of audio games? If you have any comments or questions, please email vgcommune
3: at gmail.com.